Welcome to QTalks, the podcast series by QTech, the Cambridge University Technology and Enterprise Club. I'm Tella. And I'm Shreya. And we're your hosts for QTalks, a series for aspiring innovators in which we talk about the typical and not so typical journeys of making ideas reality and changing the world. If you enjoy this episode and other QTalks episodes, then we really appreciate if you took the time to fill in a short form to help us improve the podcast, the link to which can be found in the description. All right, Shreya, we'll, we'll give them a second to click the link and open the form. This week on QTalks, we are talking to Nicholas Hebborn, partner of the German deep tech VC firm Freigeist Capital, with a background in consulting and private equity. Freigeist has invested in areas such as renewable energy, AI, quantum computing, and many more. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for coming on the show with us. So to get us started off, could you give us a bit of your general background and how you got into VC? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, good morning and I'm happy to be part of the show and, and nice to meet you guys. Um, I'm Niklas. Um, I'm one of the partners from Freigeist Capital. It's a German-based um, seed fund. We invest in deep tech. I'm sure we're talking about that later on the show. Um, I came to venture capital by um, basically by my family. I'm coming out of an entrepreneurial family. I, I worked for a family business and was always inspired by getting into companies and rebuilding them up. But I didn't found my own company. So um, I started getting into the investing world before I worked for a private equity fund. Um, but I, I realized that I'm more interested in the early days of founding a company. So um, I reached out to some colleagues from university and, and joined Freigeist in the end. And um, I'm with Freigeist now for four years. And um, yeah, happy to, to talk about that um, during our conversation here. Fantastic. I think we'll move on to talking about Freigeist Capital um, in a bit. You mentioned that you come from an entrepreneurial family. So that's how you how you sort of got interested in this space so what is it about being part of that family that that inspired you for and especially for those that maybe don't have that in their families how can um what what can they look out for at the earlier stages to know yeah so so giving you some background um yeah when i was young like 13 14 years old my father founded an own company which was a construction company so not the most digital startup hype company which you would imagine normally but in the end it was it was pretty similar to um what you're doing also in other startups it's, so it was about really founding the company hiring people the, the production site was based in china back then and um i had i had my father building that up by by setting up the operation by going to the production site setting up sales sites for example in in, in asia and in, in india in Dubai and in Europe. So that was all really exciting to to get into this entrepreneurial uh, spirit and of really getting getting things done. And um, in the end, um, in between, I also did some some internships while my studies in, in consulting. And the funny part is that um, yeah, in this consulting world, you learn a lot about structuring, about strategy, high level. But from my perspective, if you want to end up in uh, or want to go to entrepreneurship in the end, 
it's really important that you also see the outside world of how it really looks like in, in companies and that that helped me a lot for my for my for my time in the in the venture capital fund now so i think it's it's really good if you if you're interested in that field but it doesn't come from your family which is completely natural i think it makes a lot of sense to um to gather around with people like we are doing now like um, find people who are interested in that topic um, during your studies by doing internships or talking to venture capital funds talking to accelerators uh, in the early days talking to guys from startups and gathering there your first experience and i think it's all about like realizing the spirit which is going on in these kind of companies and um, that's what gave me a lot and it's also a big factor for motivation in the long term great and you, you know you touched on your experience um with things like consulting internships um but do you have any technical background because obviously you work with deep tech and if not have you the things you've had to learn or pick up along the way and have you kind of managed not having a technical background if you don't yeah that's a, that's a really good question so um i have i don't have a technical background i studied um business administration um in my bachelor and my master so i'm i'm not a technical guy but we in freigast we um we are split in two parts basically we have business people who are working um with the founders on everything related to go to market business development fundraising hr organization building but we also have this tech team um in in in-house uh, with our cto a software developer our ceo has a technical background so they all have a really broad knowledge about technology um, which i can talk later on in the show um but you're right. So it's not enough if you're just a business guy getting into it and thinking about go-to-market strategies if you don't understand the product. So what I, I needed to learn in the time is is to to outbalance that that weakness of not having the, the technolo technological knowledge. And I think it's <clears throat> it's not that difficult if you learn to ask the right questions. And um, you really need to ask more questions maybe than other people, but it's always about understanding the why the reasons behind it, breaking it down, understanding the different dimensions which are factored in a certain problem, in a certain solution. So then in the end, you can you understand a lot. An example is um, I was working a lot with Kraftblock, which is a large-scale energy storage. And um, yeah, I heard that storage is important for the climate change and that we need storage to store energy, but I wasn't into it. So And then it was about really understanding what are the factors which are important for, for storage, and um, then you learn a lot. I think you need to have a, a high inspiration for learning a lot, for being motivated every day to get something completely new, which you also don't understand. But then with asking the right questions, structuring it, you learn a lot about different fields. And that's how I, I, how I approach this, this problem kind of in my, in my lack of knowledge. And yeah, that's how we do it. But obviously, it's, it's super important that we have this technical guy in the team um, who are the, the face to, to the startups first, and then we are in the background helping with other stuff. Mm, I think it's a very interesting point to make because I think in in Cambridge, there are a lot of people who think that you need to have a PhD or a higher degree in that technical field to be able to go into VC. So it is it is good to hear and hopefully good for our listeners to hear that there are different routes roots in um, from a non-technical background perspective as well. Um, I think maybe now's a good time if we can sort of take a step back and maybe you can give us an understanding of 
what is deep tech? Uh, because I think it's a phrase that's used very often, but maybe is means different things to different people. That's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> to be to be quite honest, we haven't defined that in detail, but um, I, I can try to give you an idea. Um, I think there was a lot used the, the the phrase tech is tech is used a lot, but we started focusing to say deep tech. And what does it mean for us is that um, when you talk about this yeah, competitive edge or unique selling proposition from from a company, we first start looking really at the technology. So that's that's different from other venture capital funds who are starting with with the market perspective, with with problem solution fit, but we really want to understand the technology. So what does it mean? Why is that technology better than the normal standard on the market? And based on that, we we are pretty interested in okay, what's the know-how behind this? What's the intellectual property? What are the patents? And these three factors kind of know-how, patents, and intellectual um, property, these are the factors which define for us deep tech. Because if you don't have that, you are for us not, not deep tech because you are not a fundamental technology. Why is that important? Because we believe uh, really strongly in an, um, technical defensibility when investing in companies. We don't want to invest in, a, in an app. We also did that in the past, also successfully, but we are really looking for these companies, taking again this, the Craftblog example with an energy storage, that's a guy with a chemical background who invented this granule in the storage for over 10 years of really putting a lot of research in it, a lot of knowledge. And that's what we are, we are looking for. So technical defensibility in the end, which is defined by different factors, but that's deep tech for us. And um, yeah, I hope that helps a bit. I think it's a, it's a, you're completely right. It's a, it's a phrase which is used a lot and not pretty clear. A lot of people say that, but we we understanding there, um, I would say a longer period of developing a product, which in the end means a longer technical defensibility and being having a competitive edge over your um, over your other market players. And in addition to that, um, apart from just the technology, what is Fryguys overall investment philosophy? So, you know, what do you look for in founders as well? Yeah, so. We are pretty broad in what we are investing in. So looking at our portfolio, there's this, this storage company. Um, well, one more known right now is, for example, Lilium Aviation. They're building an electric jet um, out of, based out of Munich. Right now have, have probably, I don't know, 600 employees. And they're pretty pretty amazing uh, technology that they're building. We are invested in, in, in a satellite company in, in Romania. Um, but also some soft software companies. So in the end, we, we are not really specified on certain industry. We look for strong technologies, which are really addressing a, a really huge market. So we're not looking for problems which only exist in Germany. We are looking for global problems. So what are the global problems in the next 20, 30 years in terms of climate change, in terms of urbanization, in terms of how do we eat, um, how do we live in the daily and then these fields, we look for technologies and we are combining that. So looking at big problems with, which need big technological solutions. And we are combining that with all our, I would say, entrepreneurial experience and, and time. We really invest in the company. So we said, let's not raise a fund, which is three, four, 500 million. And we have a lot of money to allocate. But let's focus on a few by investing our own money. So the money comes only from the partners at Freigeist. 
and let's focus on one to th two or three investments per year where we really are convinced so we make a maybe a bigger due diligence process of getting into the company understanding technology founders and and feeling how they are and then say okay are we the partners for you to build up a huge company and if that's that's a natural click then then we get into it so I think we have a good understanding, uh, in a good understanding of technology. We like big problems, but then I think another thing we are really focused on is is getting operationally involved in the company, and that's that's a pretty big part of our time. And um, we like that. We I think we are all more the entrepreneurs than the typical investors. We don't want to have once a month an update call. We want to be daily on the phone with the founders, knowing what's going on. That's our I think that's where we are good at and that's what we love and um, that's why we focused on that. So as part of this more intensive due diligence process to identify your one or two investments for the year, what extra are you digging out that maybe other VC firms aren't? Like how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, as any other VC, I think we want to get really smart in how the market is working, how the customers are, um, why is this technology? I think technology is, is more important for us than for others. We can live with technological risk if it's still early and we are feeling, okay, there's still some time to go to, to realize the full potential, but we need to see it in the early days that there can be a really competitive edge in maybe, let's say, two, three years, taking again the Lilium example, when we invested in them, the jet was basically fitting on a on a typical desk. But we could see that the way they are thinking about how to build an electric jet in terms of battery, in terms of how it could fly, and how the founders were thinking about building that product, that convinced us to take this risk um, in the early days and say, okay, that's the right approach that makes sense to us. So we need to con be convinced about this product technological point of view really strongly and calibrate risk. And the other point, which is really, I think, which is more important for us is that we, as we're only doing this really few investment is we really need a strong fit with the founders. So we really want to understand how they are thinking about, not only about their company, but about the world, what they're wanting to do, how they're thinking about their lives, what's important for them. So we need to really click with them to say, okay, that's the people we really want to spend a lot of time with. So we are asking us the question sometimes, do, do we want to work for them? So is that an, is a founder and a story and a product we are passionate about? And we invest a lot of time in that, um, yeah, hanging out with the founders, uh, getting to know how they are. And um, that's, that's a big part of our, of our, of our philosophy because um, yeah, we spend a lot of time together in the end. Hmm. I, I like that uh, idea of your say, you were saying about uh, them you working for them rather than the other way way around um i i just want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier which is the technological risk um so at at such early stage um companies how do you convince yourself that the technology that they've got is robust enough that it can overcome the risk how do you quantify that how do you make those decisions I mean, it's 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 a difficult difficult part of quantifying risk. From our from I, 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 I we didn't find a yeah a silver bullet how to do that, but we yeah we 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 like the first principle thinking of breaking it really down on on really some simple questions and um, 
taking the energy example for ex uh, the energy historic example it's like okay um so what do we need in the long term to store energy we need we need really high quantities and we need a really low price we need this needs to be sustainable so um we need to we want to break it down in, in a few questions and um try to answer them uh, and be convinced that this is regardless of political um, political directions regardless of what corporates are doing regardless of um, what everyone is saying about that technology we want to be convinced with that that this makes sense in five to ten years and if we feel good about answering these questions then we do it and um, yeah, that's how we try to approach it but you're right um, quantifying understanding risks is is difficult but um, yeah, you really need to try to um, blend out all what's surrounding you and what the market is saying and what has been done in the past and really think, okay, what makes sense? And then go for it. So from your side on the business team, once you decide that you want to invest in a particular company and you decided that the technical details are sound, what are the initial steps you take to ensure kind of the company's moving in like the right direction um, for the partnership to be fruitful? That's also a good question. And I think it's underestimated, uh, especially beginning um, beginning part of a collaboration. And we also, um, I think we everyone, and we can also improve there a lot because often when you have a, when you have a really compelling technology, um, it's, it can be used in a lot of different use cases and for, for a lot of different customer types and segments. So you, we, we always try in the beginning to do that with the founders of, of breaking it down where in which market segment, because you typically really address a lot of different market segments, um, which where you are really having, where you are closest to product market fit and you can really do business. So you need to identify this Sometimes it's even a niche having the vision to go to the large market in, in the end, but identifying this niche and, and focusing on, on a few customers where you can make them really happy and, and get a lot of traction and get off a lot of momentum of, of selling your product, learning with customers. And that's, that's underestimated of, of realizing this focus in the beginning because you're having all these opportunities everywhere with corporates, with small companies, with with different types of companies. There's a lot of opportunities around you and you need to blend that out and say, okay, where does my product make sense? Because there's a high risk and you can run out of money in the beginning, which is which is a problem. So um, you need to focus where you can get the first early traction, where you can make customers happy. And that's the part where the business team from us comes in and um, we, we like to, to work on that. And if... If we then identify the segment we, we want to be in, then we get really operational and doing the business development from, from the Freigeist team also. So we, we identify the customers, we, we even go into the calls and, and convince them about that's that's the technology of the future. You need to talk to this customer, uh, to this to this startup from us. We we our CEOs um, is really known in Germany. Um, so we have a broad network in in, in Germany working on, on Europe as well to get contact to high level CEOs, to, to talk to our startups also, to get convinced about that. That's how the business team comes in then. And would you be able to just give us a quick example of a deal you've worked on personally 
and how you help them from the business side? Yeah, there are two examples. Um, one is again with Kraftblock, the energy storage. In the beginning, um, they developed the technology. It was they had some customers, we but we were focused the first half a year after we invested in really building up a pipeline of, of over two hundred potential customers. Um, they want to they, they can they can do business with to understand the market and also later on to to realize some business. That's where I was. Um, working with the CEO on on business on building up the business development unit and building up the the market side, that was one topic uh, I was deeply involved. And the other topic was, it's not a deep tech um, company, but we invested in Central, which is an um, ERP software, and um, they are also really technical driven founders. So that's why it's maybe it's maybe deep tech, but not not typical. And they developed the software over 10 years based out of an own problem of needing to solve all the commercial flows uh, when building up an e-commerce store. So we um, we found this company and we invested and they were really technical product driven people. So we um, but we got a high momentum of, of revenue growth. And then we said, OK, um, there are a lot of investors approaching us. So I, I jumped in last year as an interim VP finance to help them in the last quarter. Um, on on realizing the Series A round, and yeah, we got really we got really happy with founding Sequoia as an as an investor for the uh, Series A. They invested together with um, Visionaries Club, which is another fund from Germany, and I was helping the the, the company to to realize that funding round. I think this is uh, this is very useful for for people to hear because I think what what we've talked about so far is actually quite difficult to understand if if you're not part of VC already. Um, so I think this has been excellent. Um, if I might sort of pivot the conversation to talking more generally about VC trends, um, if I understand correctly, you work mostly within the European sector, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. We're focused on Europe. Yeah, so I'm interested to know what are the trends that you that you are seeing in the European tech ecosystem and what, what are the opportunities that you think are on the horizon yeah that's a really good question we are also thinking a lot about maybe maybe think a bit thinking a bit about the past um so really about the past about la last 20 years i think we we missed a lot of opportunities like that's why the amazons and and, and facebook's um are not coming out of europe so that's the the commerce space and the, the consumer space i would say um and also the phone space with with apple and and the others um coming a bit even more from the past but that also happened in the last 20 years they have been really dominant so dominant in terms of commerce um, um commerce um phones cloud and in the general consumer business so they were all really consumer focused overall i would say and i think we now um we are really seeing a lot of movement not only in the digitalization from the consumer side but also from the industry side so moving from b2c to b2b and that's what we are strongly focused on i think we wouldn't um I never say no but we also have some companies with but we are more focused on the b2b side and i think there are a lot of um potentials for for new solutions and um especially in germany because we have this mittelstand so these hidden champion companies which we have a lot in, in germany and they're 
not digitalized at all. So we are seeing there are a lot of solutions coming up where we are focused on. So that's that's kind of from a, let's say, um, customer perspective where we are seeing a lot of um, lot of movement over the next years. And from a technological point of view, we are seeing that um, based on the technologies which have been developed in the last 20 years in terms of cloud computing, in terms of um, the phone being an access to people and um, these all these these technologies enable us to launch companies way faster now so it's really easy to to launch an, a company using aws for example for setting up your your online store for example so we're seeing that based on the technologies which have been developed the last 20 years we are now having the opportunity to leverage these technologies for new fields such as biotech um, such as quantum computing um and many other fields we which will be coming up over the next years you mentioned europe missing out on you know the facebook's the amazons etc to what extent do you think that's due to europe not being able to attract the top tech talent and how can the ecosystem sort of be molded to rectify that if that is the case yeah I mean, that, that's a really complex question. And um, why hasn't Europe built up these companies so far? Um, that's a question we are also thinking about a lot. I think you you have to slice it down to different parts, um, I would say. I think it's not only talent. Talent is, is one element of it, but there are more elements along the journey of building up a company, I would say. So taking the early days so a lot of innovation is coming from our point of view out of universities like cambridge and also a lot of technical universities in in europe so we are building a lot of knowledge a lot of patents but then we need to understand how to switch from building first prototypes and technologies in the lab to commercialization so this is the first um, period where we need to improve by um by getting researchers kind of out of the lab and, and wanting to build products and companies. So we we I think that's that's a period where we need to get better overall. I think it's a lot related to the mindset from people that we need to show people that it's possible to build out of a technology in the lab to build a big company and how attractive that can be. That's why we like to work with universities, for example, by showing them the, the Lilium example, which are guys from a university they met at university, they were researchers, and they said, okay, let's build an electric jet and showing them, okay, it's possible. And now they're having a company with 600 people and how amazing is that? And how meaningful can be your company in, in commercializing it? So that's the first part, university, mindset, commercializing, the idea of commercializing technologies that we need to get better. Then obviously talent is one part of it. We need to be have attractive um, offers, and also here's also again the mindset. Um, so if you are graduating, and I graduated from university, startup is still I don't know a lot of people from my university went to consulting and to investment banking. So startup needs to be a, a valid option for a lot of talent to say, okay, that's that's a cool opportunity. I'm a smart guy, and I want to be in that field to to build a meaningful company. So that needs to get more into the mindset from people that this is a real option. So then you get talent on board, and then a lot is obviously also on the financing side. Um, I think we are we are okay on the early stage seed, Series A, Series B funding rounds, 
but especially in Germany and probably also in Europe, if you want to raise 50 or 100 million plus, that's there you don't find a lot of investors. So then investors from, from Asia or from US are coming, uh, investing in your companies and um, in the end, maybe acquiring the companies. And then the company built up in Europe is acquired by a company outside Europe. So we need to get better in the later stage funding also. Um, to keep the companies also in the ownership from from European investors, so it's it's a really complex question. I think you need to um, try to improve on all levels of a of a journey from a startup. Um, but yeah, that's that's why we try to be part of it. But it's it's a really big challenge. Mm, and I'm interested to understand what influence do policies have on how the European tech landscape is looking for example the um there are various sort of councils that have that have promised funding and things so um how how does that play a part in it and how much responsibility do you think that policymakers have in shaping the landscape yeah that's that's also a really good question um generally i think we believe in it should be really market oriented and policymakers shouldn't be involved in in building up companies because they are not really and they are not good decision makers um, because they don't have the time they don't have the entrepreneurial experience they don't have the technology skills to understand how, what it what it's like to build up a tech company so um we are really focused on the market should should do that and it's it's a market uh, role to figure that out but on the other side um, I think, uh, especially when you're looking at deep tech, it's really hard to find proper investors for deep tech. So we are, we like to do it, but if you are really honest, like the 80% of the venture capital funds, they like to do um, enterprise software as a service business because that's, a, that's an asset class where you have lower risk, you can see returns coming. So that's, um, that's where a lot of money is flowing. So um, yeah, they're... they're Policymakers can help to give subsidies to companies uh, in this deep tech area to yeah, let them work on, uh, on commercialization and give them funding. So I think we're seeing their good movement in the UK. I don't know it so far, but maybe you can tell me. But in, in France, I think there's now this 5 billion uh, fund in Germany is setting up a 10 billion fund for, for supporting um, tech companies in the early days. And I think that's that's also needed somehow because someone has to take the risk, so that can be a valid option. And I think if you look at um, at, the, at the successful deep tech companies like taking the Tesla from US, there, there was also a lot of subsidies involved in, in in building up Tesla. And I'm sure they would have not made it with all the subsidies flown in the companies. So um, I think it's definitely needed to a certain part. But in the end, the market should regulate it. And you always need to find a, a way to give the money from the state um, through private players, I would say, because they are the better decision makers in uh, this field. And keeping on the topic of policy and governments, perhaps a slightly more political question, but do you think there's any prospect for Europe to possibly benefit from the ongoing US-China tech war? I don't, I don't really know. I think we maybe, but um, to be honest, we both, uh, both China uh, or Asia and um, US, they have so strong tech companies who are so dominant in Europe. Um, so I'm not 
and yeah, I don't, I don't care so much about whether there is a tech war between them. Yes, they, I think the war, if we call it a war, makes them stronger each other because they are competing on a diff, completely different level than we are doing in Europe. And um, I think that's what makes us, um, I don't want to use the word afraid, but respects uh, a lot because we are seeing that these technology companies they are having a really big impact on on um, on politics in the end. So the ten cents, Alibaba's, um, Facebooks, Microsoft, Apple—they are they're really ruling the world. So on this, if you if you don't build up in 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 Europe a company which is playing on the same level um, as as they are doing, we're not playing a role in the world anymore because we don't have important players, and that's what. Um, makes us afraid so we need to build up a huge technology company out of europe um in the same same size as as they are having because these companies have impact on politics in the end and if we want to talk to the politics on a global level we need to have these companies um in in our in our countries Fantastic. I think I have so many questions that I could ask you, but it may be in the interest of time. Uh, we'll finish with one final question, um, which is, what do you think is the next big exciting thing upcoming in tech in the next, let's say, 10, 20 years? That's a good question. I think one topic which excites us, but we are definitely not expert in, and I don't can give you, I cannot give you a um a really um, fundamental answer to that because we are still working on better understanding it but i think biotech will be a huge um, area where we want to get um, more diligent in over the next years because um, we're seeing there coming up a lot of technology of of understanding of analyzing our bodies way better using technologies and um, curing diseases and um yeah, that, that field excites us for the future. And I think there will come a lot of changes in the next uh, 20, 30 years. But um, yeah, there are a lot of other topics we are curious about to, to, to invest in, like everything related to climate change or um, artificial intelligence. But if I have to pick one, which I think will develop a huge momentum, I think it's, it's, it will be biotech over the next 20 years. Fantastic. Thank you so much for all of your excellent answers. I think we've certainly learned a lot. So thank you very much for coming on the show with us, Nicholas. Yeah, thanks a lot and hope to see you soon. Great, that was a fantastic conversation. And one thing I found quite interesting um, was when he was talking about, you know, working with the companies at the very early stage of their partnership and really helping them to hone in on their product market fit and actually identifying, you know, the customers they can appeal to best in order to gain traction and, you know, not thinking too broadly too early on. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I think there were a couple of key things that really stood out to me in that conversation. The first was the the idea of balancing sort of technological defensibility and and your competitive edge was the phrase he used with the technological risk um and that those were the decisions that they had to make when investing um and i think that was that was a really interesting sort of way of looking at deep tech investing and the the second thing that i really picked up on that in that conversation is is there the part that policymakers play in 
in VC in the VC space or in in the startup space more generally, um, and their value for deep tech startups who might need them in order to gain their proof of concept versus using the market as a regulator or as the as the indicator um, for for other types of of companies that are maybe not so deep tech. So I thought I thought those two points really stood out to me, and those were my takeaways from this conversation. Thanks very much to Niklas for joining us on QTalks. This podcast was produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. And we would also like to say a big thanks to the team at QTech, who have all been working hard behind the scenes. Thank you very much for listening. And please do go ahead and rate us or leave a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can tweet us at QTech to suggest a guest or theme or tell us your experiences with applying technical skills at startups. You'll also find us at qtech.io slash qtalks.